Okay, welcome everybody to Thursday night class. So we're going to do something a little different. I, I'm, I'm holding by part three and I was going to conclude the discourse we were, going to, we were learning last week. Why does the video look so funny today? I'm happy with the setting over here. One second. Maybe it's better now. In any case, look this way. Fine. Um, because I didn't to to learn the end of the discourse we were learning last week is going to require some extra investment of brain, and I didn't have it this week, and I didn't do it. That's the bottom line. So I'm not ready for it. And just to teach by reading and not understanding, I don't like doing that. Instead, I taught something phenomenal today in Hebrew in the morning to my Israeli audience. Um, and from the Dvar Malchus, from the Rebbe's teachings on Parshas Matos and Maseh, from the last year the Rebbe spoke to us. And it was mind-blowing, and I'd love to share it over here. And uh, being that I did prepare that today and read it today and learned it today, I feel more comfortable teaching it, so that's what we're going to do. And Be'ezot Hashem, we're going to come back to the Parshas Pinchas, concluding that mimer. Hopefully Hashem should help one of the, one of the evenings next week. Here we go. And Yonim Yuchad, this can be found in, Parsh, in the Sefer Hasichas Tashin Nun Aleph, page 709, 5751, page 709. One of the unique things of this Shabbos, we conclude the book of, of Numbers, the book of Bamidbar. Sefer Revi which is the fourth book of the Torah. In a certain way, the conclusion of the fourth book of the Torah is also considered completing the entire Torah. Why? Dalet Asvarim, all four books. Why? Because the fifth book, Deuteronomy, Devarim, is a book onto its own. So in a sense, and, and it has a certain category on its own. I'm not saying every book is a book on its own, but it has a certain, uh, it's considered a level uh, different than the four books. It's a repetition. It's a chazar. It's like a repetition of the whole Torah. So therefore, in a certain sense, finishing the four books is considered already finishing the entire Torah. The fifth book is already a repetition of Torah, which repeats and includes within it the four books that were before it. And after we conclude the fourth book, everybody calls out and a joyous, he teaches us how he's supposed to call it out. It's not supposed to just call out. You're supposed to joyously cry out, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazek. Let us be strong, let us be strong, and let us strengthen ourselves. What does this indicate? We yell out and we shout out three times, let us be strong. What that means is that it's, that is indicating the strength of the Jewish people in all matters of Yiddishkeit, all matters of Torah. Now, even if we would say one time chazak, that would show on strength. When we say three times chazak, chazak, when it's chazak, which the sages say three times is a chazaka. So it's interesting. One time on its own would be already strong because you're saying the word, let us be strong. Chazak, which is strong. Now, when you're saying, let us be strong three times, so you're really, really, really hitting on the strong because three times is always strength. 
Chazak, chazak, when it's chazak, sheish by yili vashlem is to betlas zimnen hele chazaka. The sages tell us three times is chazak, especially in a year like this year when it's three, 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 as we discussed. So for sure, this element is very, very strongly emphasized. I am going to just for a moment hop a switch on the glasses. Give me a second. We need to understand to see him So we need to understand the connection of the conclusion of the fourth book of the Torah to the time that we're in. This seum, this conclusion of the Torah, we always do it in the three weeks. I mean, it's not possible. In the in the public reading of the Torah, that we should read this parsha and the conclude conclude the fourth book of the Torah, not in the three weeks. And in many years like this year, the year the Rebbe was talking, the year fifty seven fifty one was exactly the same year like this year. So in many years like this year, it is concluded in the first Shabbos of the nine days. So not only are we in the three weeks, but we're in the like more intense part of the three weeks, which is the nine days. Tonight is already Rosh Chodesh. Happy Chodesh to everyone. So tonight is already the first day of Av, which is this year going to be Friday, like it was that year. And Shabbos is Monday. I'm sorry, Shabbos is the second day. I mean, the second day. is the second day of Av. Now, what's, what's the problem? The problem is, that the three weeks we would think, especially the nine days, is a time of weakening. It's a time when our Jewishness is weakened. It's a time when our godly determination is kind of, you know, draining from us. Because it's the time of the destruction. It's the dark time of Jewish history. At first glance, it would seem the opposite. That the, the, the time of the three weeks, and particularly the nine days... Which indicate Churban Vagalos, which is celebrating the destruction of the Jewish home and the the consequential exile that came about as a result of it. is connected to a situation of weakening. Now, if you want to find the weakest point of the Jewish people, it's these three weeks. This is a weak point. And because and, and if it's weak to the Jewish people, it's in general, it's a weakness of holiness. Holiness was breached. Holiness was broken into. Okay? We were hacked. And 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 consequently, as a result of that, you know, suffered a devastating defeat, seemingly. And as long as we haven't come out of exile, we're still suffering from it. So this would be kind of a weak, a, a state of weakness. And yet, at the same time, during these three weeks, we do this. Chazak, chazak, v'nis chazek. Let us be strong. Now, most people don't have no question in that. I promise you. Most rabbis will gloss through this. They have no issue with it. For a simple reason. No one takes this so seriously that when you say three times, chazak, chazak, v'nis chazek, you're very strong. Okay, you say chazak, chazak, v'nis chazek. The Rebbe is unique because the Rebbe, there's no such a thing that's something that doesn't have infinite meaning. So if you say chazak, chazak, v'nis chazek, 
to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, it means you are really, really, really announcing you're formidable, you're unbeatable. You're like, wow, we're like pumping. We're pumping with strength. We're pumping with power. How can you feel pumping with power when you're in the three weeks? I guess you, you wouldn't, <laughs> it's hitting me now, you wouldn't think of asking this question unless when you're saying chazak, chazak, v'nitz chazek, you're really living the experience of the fullest. That's when you feel it. Because when you're, you're ready to say chazak and you're really, you're like, you're, 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 you're gearing up that it's like incredible, like show of strength, show of might. And suddenly you're trying to pull that might and you feel this deep inner weakness and you can't. That's, that's almost like I feel like what the Reb is applying to. Like how are you going to say chazak, chazak, benes chazek, let us be strong. If, if, where do you muster that strength if it's the opposite? It's a time of like draining of the energy. How does it work? So we can answer. What the Rebbe always does in his talks is he always gives you the easy way out. Uh, for, for, for whoever wants to cop out, you get the easy way out. But then he doesn't let you at it. He says, okay, at first glance we can answer. That this itself is really the answer. Since this is really a time when our energy is drained, it's really a time when we are very, 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 very tired and exhausted and kind of uh, in, in a in a in a in a in a, in a weak point. So we need to strengthen ourselves. You know, if we wouldn't do chazak, chazak, v'nis chazek, we would collapse completely. So this is like taking a little bit of a, you know, getting yourself a caffeine shot when you're really tired. You know, you're driving throughout the night. You stop in a gas station after four hours of driving and you go and you take a, you go to get a Red Bull or whatever, something like that to give you a, 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 a boost. Um, so that's kind of what we would think, that because the three weeks is such a difficult time, we need something to counter the weakness. That could be an answer, but he says, eh, doesn't like it. Why? Because then the, the, the connection of the three weeks and the nine days to this chazak chazak and this chazak is 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 that they they one opposes the other. This is negative, so we need to have an a, a, an extra a positive force to to go against it. So there's opposite. So they're not connected because they have a relationship with each other. Quite on the contrary, they're opposites to each other. The, the Rebbe wants to say that we have to go much deeper. And we have to realize, no, 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 that the strength itself is in the nine days, that the strength is coming from the nine days. The strength is coming from the three weeks. But in order to do that, he has to flip over the nine days. He has to flip over the three weeks. So we're going to have to re-examine the three weeks. We're going to have to re-examine the exile. We're going to have to re-examine the darkness. And then we're going to have to discover how the darkness itself and the, and the, and the exile itself is not weakening us, quite on the contrary, it's our ultimate empowerment and our ultimate strength. So chazak, chazak, and it's chazik. But, but, but we're going to see soon that is particularly connected to 
the strengthening that's coming at the end of the fourth Sefer of the Torah. Because we do Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazak five times. Four times a year on the regular Shabbos. And then the last time we do it on Simchas Torah, the most joyous day in the Jewish calendar. We finish the whole Torah and we start over again. So, um, but we finish other books. It, it, all of this has to be connected to the fact that it's the fourth one, which we're soon going to see brilliant, brilliant, brilliant explanation. It is more, it is more fitting to say. That the chizuk, the strength, comes from the content of the time. Not that the character of the time is opposite of the strengthening. And it's only that the time is calling forth that we need to fight it by becoming stronger. Now, an extra, an, an extra proof that it's not like that because it's dark, we have to shine a little light, but that the light is in the darkness itself. Or as we said earlier, the strength is this time itself is a time of strength. Not it's a time of weakness, which we need the strength, but that it's a time of strength. How do we see it? Because the way we refer to the time, to the, to the, to the chazak, when we say chazak, chazek, when we're going to say this, the way we refer to this Shabbos is we call it Shabbos chazak. It's not that we're saying Oimrim Chazak, we say Chazak. We're saying Shabbos Chazak. That means it's a Shabbos of strength. The strength characterizes the Shabbos. Now the Shabbos, this Shabbos, is a piece of time. This Saturday, the Shabbos, is a piece of time within the three weeks, within the nine days, within that dark period. And if we're calling it Shabbos Chazak, is implying that the Shabbos, which means the time itself, is part of the Chazak. It's 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 what's giving the strength, not that the Shabbos is, mm, and then we add Chazak so that you know to counter it. Then it wouldn't be Shabbos Chazak. Then it would be uh, Chazak. Shabbos Chazak means that the Chizuk, the strength, is coming from Shabbos itself. Like it's emphasized in the name of the Shabbos. The name of something always is indicative of its essence. The Shabbos is called the Shabbos of strength. The content of the Shabbos, which comes out in the middle of the three weeks. And this year doesn't only come out in the middle of the three weeks. It's even in the nine days. What's the content of this Shabbos? The strength. Chazak, chazak, chazek, chazek, or chazak, chazak, venis chazek. Let us be strong. Maseinu, vavadi seinu, bekiyem atayra mitzvahs. That, um, toichem dalar heisvarim. That the Shabbos is a strength of all of our actions. Our actions of Torah and mitzvahs is coming from the time within the time. They're strengthening us as our, as a Jew. They're strengthening our observance of the Torah and the mitzvahs and everything, right? which is why we're saying chazak, because we're finishing it, a, 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 we're not finishing, we're completing a reading of the Torah. And a completion always means that you, you, you've digested it, you downloaded it, 
and it became part of you and it strengthens you. So all of this has to, and it's all connected to the time that the Shabbos itself is, is strengthening. So this is all the first, the first chapter. Now we go to chapter number two, Perik Beis. So in order to understand how such a Shabbos, which seems to be such a weak time, yet it's giving us chizuk, let's first take a look at the content of the parasha. In other words, we're finishing an entire book, but we're finishing the book by reading a specific Torah portion, which is you, which sometimes it we. It's the last Shabbos, meaning the last reading. This week, it's a double portion. Because we read Matos and Masay. In Israel, they only read Masay. But in, by us, we read Matis and Masay, and we're actually connecting to Israel this week. We've been so, you know, lagging behind them every week, but now we caught up, caught up this week. But we're catching up by reading two parshiyas. So now, since when we read two Torah portions, now for whatever reason that works that way, in order to be able to, to fit in, 54 Torah portions in every yearly, every calendar year, it requires that some Torah portions have to pair up one with each other. Because we don't have so many weeks, especially since you, uh, some of the holidays knock off some of the Shabbos is because when Shabbos comes out on a holiday, you read a special reading, you don't read Parsha HaShavua. So that causes a couple of weeks to be subtracted. So you end up with about 46, 47 uh, weeks every year. So you need to add on, so we need to double up some Torah portions. So the Torah portions, that is, so Matis Masai is doubled up. Now, when the two Torah portions double up, they become so unified that they become one portion. It's not, it's not considered that we're reading two portions. It's that the two of them are welded, the two of them become welded together until they are considered one Torah portion. Um, now, even though the chazak, the, the strength that we get, is related to the entire book that we read. For instance, when we complete Sefer Bereshis, the book of Genesis, the strength is because we completed the entire book with all of, I think there's 11 chapters in Bereshis. Maybe. Again, I'm just guessing, but I think if I remember. So it's, it's related to all 11 readings. From Bereshis to Vayechi. But since the actual parsha which we read, which, which we conclude, is Vayechi, is a sign that the strengthening is particularly connected to that last Torah portion, to Vayechi. So the same is also in the fourth book, that the strength has to be connected particularly to Masay. However, since this year it's Matos Masay together, so the strength is related to to, to the Matis, and not just this year, probably a majority of the years, Matis and Masi, it comes, it's a, it's, it comes out really that they're not connected. But um, most years they are connected. But um, when, but, but what does that tell you? Is that when you do the Chazak, it's particularly connected to the Parsha. So we need to understand what's so strengthening about these two power portions, Matis and Masi. Now, a parshis matis masay she be zanichlo beprati is a chazak de matos vachazak de masay. Now, since we're saying three times chazak, chazak chazak venis chazek. So the three times chazak are really connected as follows. 
there is a certain strength that's coming from Matos. Matos as a Torah portion has a strengthening element to it. There is a strength that's coming from Pashas Mase. And then there's the third one that's related to Matos and Mase together. That's so why we have three times Chazak. The truth is you'll do three times Chazak even when it's one Torah portion. But here it comes out really nice because you have two Torah portions together making up the Parsha. So you can look at each one of them individually and then you can combine them together. So Chazak for Matos, Chazak for Masay, strength for Matos, strength for Masay, and strength for both of them together. So, now he's going to begin to delve what's the strength we get from these Torah portions. So, in Yenachayzik Vatoykev, the Chazak, Ubefrat Gimel Pamun Chazak, 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 Venis Chazak. Now, the concept of strengthening ourselves, especially since we're doing a triple strengthening, which represents really firm, really strong, Shayach Lachayr Lamatis. It's very easy to find this connection to the Torah portion of matos. Why? Because what's a mata? What does the word matos mean? Why is the word? The matos really means the tribes. The beginning of the Torah portion, Hashem says to Moshe, God speaks to Moshe, and he says, no, I'm sorry. God doesn't speak to Moshe. Moshe the Torah opens up with Moshe speaking to the Jewish people. Moshe, Moshe speaks, El Roshe HaMatos. To the heads of the tribes. Now, why are the tribes called a mate? Um, usually, the word referred to tribes is shvatim, and then and then it should say the tribes are called a shvatim, and then the right words would have been Moshe al hashvatim. Moshe speaks to the heads of the shvatim, but it doesn't refer to them as shvatim; it refers to them as matos. Now, we do find in Chumash that the tribes are sometimes referred to as Shvatim, Shifteka, and sometimes as Matos. What's the, why would they be called by either name? It's because they both mean the same thing, slightly different. Uh, Shevet is a branch. And we understand now why the tribes are called Shvatim, because they're all branches from a singular tree. The, there, is the, there is the tree of life, the tree of the, tree of the Jewish people, which make up a living tree, a tree of life. And those, and that living tree branches off into various different tribes. And that's why the tribes are called Shavatim. Fine. What does a mata mean? A mata is also a branch. But what's the difference? A shavit is still the branch when it's soft and pliable, either because it's still connected in the tr- to the tree. The tree is still you know, the tree has branches and you have soft, pliable branches that's called a shavit, or even after it's disconnected, but it's still re- it's still freshly disconnected. So it still has the moisture, it's still a fresh piece of wood that was pulled off a tree not too long ago, and it was a living tree, not a dead tree. So it's still moist, so it's still pliable, it won't crack. That's called a shavit. A mata represents a very stiff, a stiff branch, when it becomes a staff, when it becomes a stick, Moshe w- went with a mate, with a staff. Uh, you know, when you have a hiking stick, firm piece of wood, not bendable, that's the mate. A rod. Uh, so, so 
but, but it's also initially a branch. But the branch when is hardened. So since mata represents hardening, so we can already understand its relationship to chazak, chazak, v'nishazek. Let us be strong, like a like a like a strong, a powerful staff, a strong stick. And that's why the concept of a staff shows on strength. That's why kings used to have a staff, a stick. What was that? It was a ruler, a baton, a stick, representing a a, a force. So Matos represents the Jewish people as a powerful force in the world. So the connection to Matos, to Chazak, is very obvious. Matos is indicating a power and a strength that, that's not changing. A certain stubbornness, a certain... Just like a regular stick that is strong and hard. So much so that since a staff is, is, is indicating strength, we find that in Hebrew, we sometimes associate dominion and sovereignty with a stick. The king, the ruler, holds a staff. Like the verse of the Pasuk, there's a, there's, a, there's a verse that says, this is a verse in, in, in Yechezkel, Ezekiel, Matois Oiz El Shiftai El Shiftai Moishlin, the staff of strength to the, to the tribes of the rulers. So the ruling, the ruling tribe used to have a staff of strength indicating their, their power. Okay. So, no problem. That chazak, chazak, veniz chazek, which is representing strengthening ourselves, should be connected to, to a parsha that's to a Torah portion that's called matos. It fits, makes sense. However, what does masay mean? Journeying. The second Torah portion talks about the journeys of the Jewish people, and and it talks about the forty-two journeys they did in the wilderness where they were camping somewhere and then they disassembled their camp and they took everything down and they moved and they traveled and they wandered somewhere else and they got somewhere else. They set up their tent again and including the tent of meeting and everything. They set up camp Then they had to disassemble it and go continue. So journeys can be beautiful and journeys can take us to a lot of, a lot of places, but the journey doesn't really emphasize strength. The opposite. People are much stronger when you're when you're in your home, when you're established. You know, when when you're constantly moving around, you're when they when they you know a lot of times uh, one of the the credit credit bureaus or whatever when they want to know to issue a person credit, one of the strong things to indicate that a person is a reliable person is they're living in one place for a long time. If every second day you're somewhere else, then they know that you know you're not reliable. There's no, there's nothing there. There's just there's an instability. Stability represents standing in one place. And as we all know, when we travel, we get weak, we get tired. And usually commitments that we have start falling to the side. Like a person is a person has a deep commitment to things. Torah study, um, I mean, even, even when it comes to physical things. 
everybody knows when you're you're able to be on schedule when it comes to exercising, when it comes to dieting, if you're careful, you know. But if you travel, everything things start falling apart. Like the biggest corporates for most people when they're for diets and for things that they do, certain regimens that they start, everything is good until they have to travel. Then there was a sister-in-law's wedding and a this and a that. And once it's like traveling and you have to adapt to a different place and it's hard to keep exactly the food that you're eating or the thing that you're eating or the schedule that you're eating. And then it's so hard to get back onto it. You know, everybody's got these, these problems. At least me, okay? <laughs> once I got, once I'm traveling, everything falls. And that's, that's hard. So in other words, traveling is indicating a certain weakness. So when, how can it be that what's the strength Related to Parshish Masay, that's referring, and we also understand that when the Jewish people talk about as a people, a nation, a nation which is stable, they have their homeland, they're living in one place, their home, right, is a strong nation, a nation that's wandering through the desert from place to place. Now, obviously, we were very strong when we were in the desert because God, the divine presence was with them in a special way. I, I get that. But the essential state. But even the Jewish people, they're stronger when they came to the land of Israel and they built a, a temple. Their influence in the world was felt to a greater degree than when we're wandering. We're lacking strength. So why would a Torah portion called Maseh, which deals with wandering and moving from place to place, be the very Torah portion with which we conclude a book in which we announce strength? As I told you. The only one who asks questions like this is the Lord, is the Rebbe. No other books will ask these questions because no one takes the announcement so seriously. And this is really funny. I'm telling you, I, I, <laughs> because if you think about it, the Rebbe builds entire deep. He's gonna the Rebbe is gonna uncover in this in this like the deepest teachings, the deepest thoughts, the most fundamental fundamentals ideas of 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 of, of Torah and Judaism and 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 existential truths like the deepest things but he 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 builds them on almost what someone would call a silly question what, what do you mean strength strength you finish let's be strong next how much time are you going to spend on the fact that you're saying three times chazak chazak venis chazak kids even have a song chazak chazak venis chazak my mother made a chocolate cake that's what kids when we were kids everybody sang that and people still do that right Maybe because people would make a special cake when they, uh, for the chazak, chazak. But that's about it. Come on. But not by the Rebbe. What do you mean? You're standing by the Torah and you announce, you know when you announce chazak? Before even the man, the, the one who has the aliyah, the one who's called up to the Torah, says the after blessing. That means you're interrupting between the blessing and the Torah by saying chazak. And not only the people say it, the Balkore, the one who's reading, also says it. So it's almost like these words, chazak, chazak, venis, chazak, are part of the Torah. Oh, that's a very serious words. And, and do you take it seriously or don't take it seriously? Do you walk away after they announce chazak, chazak, feeling like Superman? You're spiritual. Like you're literally, you're ready to take on the world? The Rebbe says, yeah, you're supposed to feel that way. You're supposed to walk away after that, literally, no, you're unbeatable. Like the difference of walking into shul Shabbos morning to the way you're leaving shul in the time is a world of a difference. You walked in to clap, to zets, to you know, you know, you're whatever. You're bruised. You're down. You're and you're leaving. Wow, like a like a like the ruler of the whole world, without any full of confidence, full of power. 
But the Rebbe says, how does it fit with the notion of the Parsha, which Masay, which Masay means traveling, which is indicating of a weakened state. Which the concept of Masay means to travel. When you're going from place to place. What does it mean to travel? You don't stand in one place. You're moving to another place. Now, real, real traveling in the truest sense of the world means you're completely leaving where you were before. You're going away. To, this is just a deeper concept. Is that when, when the real meaning of leaving of traveling is when you've gone away completely from where you were. It's not like you go, a person can leave their home, they go to they go to the grocery, they go to Trader Joe's or they go to, I don't know, whatever. So then you left, but even when you're there, you're still home. You're at your house, you're, you're shopping around the corner. Leaving is that, you know, completely, you moved away, n- no remnant of you even ever being here, away. That's the real meaning of traveling. You went away from here and you went somewhere else completely. And that's showing a lot or a, 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 an experience that is not that is not strong. It's the opposite of, of strength, which strength means here I am, here I stay, I'm unbudgeable, can't move me. What's strong? Holding the ground. I'm staking my land. Here I am. Can't move me. Doesn't fit. Again, see, see? Same question the Rebbe had about the three weeks. How can it be that the three weeks, which is a time of such downer, of such weakening, and yet we say chazak, chazak, he's also finding the same question in the end of Parshas Bamidbar. That the parsha is one about moving from, which in a sense, Masay also means moving into exile. Because that's what the exile is. He doesn't say it openly, but that's the same idea. Why do we read Parshas Masay on during these times? Because what is exile if not a wandering Jew who wanders across the world, who doesn't have a home? And every second day is kicked out of this country and kicked out of that city and running over here and persecuted. And he has to run for his life from place to place across the entire world. Same idea. So the Parshas Masay, it goes, it fits very well with the three weeks, but it doesn't fit with strength. And from this, that the announcement, Chazak, Chazak, let us strengthen us, is always, the fact that the Chazak, Chazak, of the fourth Torah book is always in the end of Parshas Masay. Mashma, Shatoichen the Chazak Venis Chazak Shaykh the Ikola Parshas Masay. That seems to imply that the real Chazak the Chazak Venis Chazak, the real strength, is precisely connected to the movement of Masay. Even more than the staff and the stick and the unbudgeableness. Of Pashas Matos. Because Matos is not always Shabbos Chazak. We said earlier, it's, pa- it's possible that the two are separated. And when the two are separated, Matos is not Chazak. But Masay is always Chazak. 
And when Matis and Masay are, and even when Matis and Masay are connected, where do you cry out Chazak? Not when you finish Matos, when you finish Masay. Indicating that the Chazak, Chazak, when it's Chazak is even more in the Masay, in the journeys, than in the Matos, than in the staff. Okay. So what's the explanation in all of this? We discussed so many, so many times what is the significance of number three. We say strength is is in three. And particularly a triple chazak. Chazak, chazak, v'nez chazak. Madgisha, ha'choyzik, v'atoykev, gam b'mokim she'yesh minari. The fact that there's strength, but strength, in particularly when you're saying it three times, the emphasis of it is, is that your emphasis, that you're strong even when you have adversaries. Even when you have opposing forces. You do as it is, no. Where do you... I was going to emphasize that strength, and particularly the strength associated with number three. That the point over here is that you're strong, but means that you have a challenge. You have those that are coming up against you, and yet you're strong. As we know in numbers, one represents singular and oneness, which is indicating on a situation where that which is good and that which is holy is going unchallenged. The only reality is goodness, holiness, and godliness. Or we can say regarding God, Hashem is one, and when was he completely one, 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 that everybody agreed to his oneness before he created the world? So God goes unchecked and unchallenged. And he is who he is, and no one challenges his truth. And that's the one. That's wonderful, but that, that doesn't really show on the strength of his oneness because you don't know what's going to happen if something or some entity or some reality is going to challenge God's oneness. Someone else might pop up from somewhere else and claim, I exist too, other than God. So, yeah, it's one, but anything that has not been challenged doesn't have strength. So that's So that's one. And in a person's life, it means that you're, thank God, were born in a good place and had good parents and good education and they set you on a good course. And life is good. You're doing everything right and good and no one is bothering you. So you can be a very righteous person, but life hasn't hit you with challenges and difficulties and obstacles. So you're living in number one. It's like one continuous stream of, of positivity. It's great. That's almost like you're living in God's realm before creation. Because the notion of creation means a world. In Hebrew, the word world world is olam, and olam means concealment. The very notion when God creates a world means he's already contradicting his oneness. And you're calling for trouble. That's why Monday, which is the second day of creation, which is day number two, is already, <laughs> is already a very troublesome day. As it says, immediately God was yelling. God yells on the second day. He yelled. The Rashi says when he said, let there be a firmament, he yelled. So yeah, God is already losing it. He's screaming. And and the, the, the creation is already divided. 
there is there is division between the upper and the lower, and there's hard feelings, and the lower worlds are crying, and the lower waters are saying, you know, that's what it says. So there's a, there's a mess, and we know that that's the source. Monday is the source of all problems. Like we all sometimes feel Monday, we don't feel that that positive. Monday is like oh, the week is gonna hit me now with all the headaches, all the stuff that I ignored because I put out of my head, which I feel like okay, I'm not thinking about them, so they don't exist. But on Monday, I got to deal with them. Got to deal with the realities that don't fit with my with with my with with myself, with my world, things that are contradicting me, and your own, even if it's not holiness, things that are giving you a hard, job, a hard time. You know, you have to deal with a, with a difficult coworker. You have to deal with your boss, and you know you're going to deal with it on Monday, or you have to deal with a a, a, a customer or a, or a or a or a supplier or a, whatever it is that you have to going to go deal with a situation. It's contradicting you, and it's and how and it's and it's threatening to to, to you know to weaken you. Oh. So that's number two. Number two represents challenge. Mispishnayim number, and to God, it's also the same thing. When God creates the world, there's a now two. There's him and there's a world. And him and the world are on two opposing sides. Mispishnayim is indicative already on division and machlokis already and war and, and another side. Because now there is already an existence of someone that says, hey, you're not the only one. I too exist. Well, Mr. But then we get to the number three. Now, Tuesday, however, by the time it comes Tuesday, so now you already started dealing with your issues on Monday. And let's say it's going head to head. You're going head to head against a certain thing. You know, you're negotiating on a on a deal. Back and forth, back and forth, clashing with the other. And by the time Tuesday comes, hopefully, if you're on the right side, you're managing to overpower already. So you are getting a grip over the other. So what means is, in in terms of the concept, three represents sometimes. Um, it can represent two stages. It could represent number one, one side overpowering the other side, or even deeper, the peace that comes when one. And the second power, which is on the other side, actually find a way to coexist and live in peace and harmony with each other. In our case, to live in peace and harmony with God really means to acknowledge that he is everything. And therefore everything, but doesn't mean that things what are not him can't exist. It means that he's existing through their existence. And they too are meant to express his oneness and his truth. And that's the concept of number three. And then that represents strength. Because that's indicating that number one is really strong. He is strong. How is he strong? Through number three. That even when there is an adversary, even when there is an opposition, even when there is a force that's blocking you, you're able to overcome the challenge. And not only that, transform the challenge. And make it be part of, make it an asset. Initially, it's a problem. You're turning it around and making that too an asset. So, and that strength. Is indicating the power and the strength of holiness. Which is much better and much stronger, number one. Because number one, there's always, even though number one is like, it's like you feel very stable because no one is bothering you. No one is challenging you. 
But there's always the if. What happens if a competition opens up? You know, you're running this massive company. You're like, you're dominating the whole, uh, yeah. And, and no one, uh, but there's always the question, what happens if someone else opens up another and their product will outdo yours? Oh, so now, now there is always that, there's always that if. But if there were many other companies and you managed to buy them all out, and not only that, all those companies with all the talent and all that end up being part of, or you do a merger, whatever, whatever it is, and all that ends up increasing your wealth or your your whatever it is. I'm talking in a very in a very physical term of all this, but this, the same concept applies on on all levels, including in the divine and in the godly. That shows how strong you are. That even when there is the possible oppositions, they too give away and become included in in, in your existence. And in our case. And the ultimate existence is God's existence. Now, this itself of the strength of number three, even in the face of opposition, can come in two ways. Let's see how, let's see how deep this goes. When we're saying that number three can be strong, it, 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 I'm sorry, number three is an ex- is a validation of strength because the one which was challenged by the two has figured out how to deal with number two and to the point where it overpowered it that it shouldn't challenge anymore or even transformed it to an asset. That itself can happen in two ways. That itself can be in two ways. And and he explains what they are. Number one, Mitzah Elian. The, the first way it can come from the one on the top. In our case, that would mean God. But in the case, I mean, it can, it can come because of the muscles of number one. Number one is so powerful and so strong that no one should, God forbid, dare challenge it. In our case, God is so strong and so powerful that even if there's a challenger to, the, to, the, to God's, when I say a challenger, there's no real challenger because God creates the challenger. Understand that. But, but he does create a challenger. And he does create something that should serve as a force that is working against him. Fine. So, but in the end, since after all he's God, so in the end, he wins. But the question is, why does he win? Does he win because he, you know, because he um, um, exercises his, his, uh, his, no, what should I say? Because he, um, Not with the right word I'm looking for. Because he asserts his because he asserts his oneness. And because of his assertion of his self, that's why he overpowers the enemy or the op- opposing force. And now a case that God takes a stand and says, No one is gonna mess, like in, in Egypt. You know, Pharaoh was like trying to mess with God, and God put his foot down. So you don't you don't mess with me. You mess with me, you're going into the sea. Right? That kind of a strength. And obviously God can do whatever he wants. Created the universe. He can change things around. And that's what he did. So God puts his foot down. That's the assertion of number one. So again, number one allows itself to be challenged. And maybe even, as we're going to see soon, that part of this game 
that God plays, so to speak, where there is a challenge against his oneness and forces that work against him, is in a way that God gives the opposing force real power. And so much power that they can defeat, temporarily they can defeat holiness. Like we find the destruction of the temple. God's temple, God's home in this world is destroyed. You know, when Titus came into the Holy, the Holy of Holies, he took a sword and he, he stuck it into the curtain that was by the Holy of Holies and blood came out. And he claimed, look, I killed, God forbid, he killed the one above. He felt he de- he, he dis- and, and God allowed it to appear that way. And in a sense, he really, he did weaken. The reason blood came out wasn't just a deception. It was indicating that he did, did um, um, thrust a, 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 a blade into the heart of holiness, into the, and the heart of the, God empowered the imposing forces to do that. And that caused 2,000 years of darkness, 2,000 years of divine concealment. In almost as if, at least on the external experiential level, the Hashem was defeated. The end with Titus was that God said, "You're bragging about that you defeated me. I'll 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 fight you with the tiniest in, with the tiniest creature." And he and he sent a little tiny tiny little mosquito, a little gnat that went into his nose, and it was tiny and started giving him this. He started eating at his brain, and he was until he died of uh, the most horrific, painful death. When they when after his death they opened his head, this little mosquito was the size of like a bird. It ate away at his head. He suffered tremendous. So God said, you know, okay, fine. Even my tiniest creature can fight you. What do you think you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna fight me? But at least externally, it it can be that way. So, but then we we say in prayers all the time, Kuma Hashem, get up, God. Come on, how long are you gonna allow this make believe game like forces have power to to stop you? How long are you going to act? Wake up, God. Take a stand. So, and, and when Hashem does do, do that, and we expect, for example, like the coming of Mashiach, God will get up and stand up in the world and all the clipper, all the unholy will fall. That's the assertion of number one. And that's how you can get to number three. Because then he showed his strength even in the face of an enemy and he beat him. He decimated the enemy. That's one level, but that's not the ultimate level. And we'll see why in a minute. Mitzad the Elyon one is coming from the assertion of, number, of the one on the top. What happens is there is such strength and there's such power in the, in the flow of light of holiness, the energy of holiness. There is a flow from light coming from above, from above down. Everywhere, even where there is an opposition. Because God's light is so limitless, all he needs to do when there is opposition from this world is to turn on the light a little brighter. That's it. If people are ignorant and people are denying God and people are, are in a state of, of, you know, of claiming that God is not, all God has to do is show that he is. And how does he do that? Through a miracle. He removes, he intensifies a little bit his projection into creation, making himself more obvious. And that's why he beats the enemy. No problem. But that's all coming from him. But then there is another way. 
it can come from below. What does that mean? God creates an opposition. He allows there to be forces that deny him, forces that oppose him. And within and inside there, he sends his agents. That's the Torah, that's the Jewish people. And they're not receiving direct miraculous salvation. He allows them to be completely at the mercy of the various different mega forces of darkness. Like the time of exile, when the Jews are disconnected from their land, they're disconnected from divine communication. The nations in the world were crying and saying, God has abandoned you. God has thrown you out of his home. He's lost. He's disconnected himself from you. And now you're cursed, God forbid. And you're left out there amongst, 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 like the sages say, one sheep among 70 wolves. And, okay. So, and God is not going to provide the supernatural miracles that he was providing when you were in the land of Israel. He's not meddling. And we from below, the souls, while they're in their bodies, stiffen up and are strong and strong, devoted and dedicated, and don't let go of their conviction of truth, of their belief in monotheism, and their belief in Hashem, and hold on to his Torah and to his mitzvahs. And burrow through in every situation, continuing to be Jewish, notwithstanding how much pressure there is and how much persecution. So it's not coming from God asserting himself. It's coming from within creation itself, from within the challenge, from within the world where, and even more than that, not only do the Jewish people withstand all the pressures, some pressures coming in the manner of a stick and some pressures coming in the manner of candy of seduction, trying to pull the Jewish people into other things that are other than their commitment to God through various different ways of seduction that have been tried throughout the exile. And yet Jews remain strong to their observance, to their Torah, to their mitzvahs, to their connection to God. But even deeper than that, so much so they take their enemies and turn them into allies. That the very same people that once hated them start to admire them. And not only they start to admire them, they actually support them. And not only do they, do they don't they fight holiness, they start assisting holiness. How did that happen? Where did that come from? And it's without God asserting himself from above. It's kind of happening from below. That's the ultimate truth. That's when you know that God is really true. If he has to insert himself through pressure, through force. Okay, after all, he's God. Okay, he's strong. But that's not the ultimate strength. The ultimate strength is that I can let you do your thing. And you yourself will self-destruct. Those that are opposing him will self-destruct. And whatever is left of them will be actually an assistance to holiness. That's like the ultimate divine scheme. The ult- and how do you know it's going to work? Maybe it's not going to work. The answer is he's the truth of everything. Truth eventually has to come out. You can pull it this way. You can pull it that way. You can move it like this. You can move it like that. And eventually the innate truth of all of existence that it's all God is going to come out. So that which is once opposing the Jewish people and opposing the land of Israel and opposing holiness and opposing sanctity and opposing God's commandments and opposing, first of all, the opposition, even though at certain times seems like it's going, at the end, it implodes on itself. And even more, 
it turns around and starts assisting. Let's take, for example, 70 years, there was this monstrous Russian beast, Soviet Union, that stood in a fight, a powerful war fight against holiness, against the, against the belief in God, against religion, against observance, and so on and so forth. And the Jews behind the Iron Curtain were exactly that, behind the Iron Curtain, trapped, subjugated to the worst types of, 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 of persecution. Siberia, labor camps, who knows what, gulags. And what happens? 70 years later, they're gone. Not here. The whole entire thing is off. So the opposition that was once opposing, not here anymore. Not only isn't not here anymore, but those very KGB people that were once this are now many of them in assistance. First of all, they assisted so many of the Jewish people to go up to the land of Israel. And not only that, they helped reestablish Jewish institutions of observance of Torah, mitzvot, schools, Jewish practice across the entire previous Soviet Union. So what is that? And that's again, not, there was no, there was no, uh, at least to the physical eye, Moses who came down the mountain with a stick and threatened uh, Gorbachev or threatened, yeah, it didn't happen that way. It wasn't that God asserted himself from above. It was from below, from within the world, from within the creation, from within the darkness. As we said, the unholiness self-destroyed itself. And the, the ultimate truth was revealed. So that's the second one. It comes from below. This service of elevating the low. That is coming from the bottom up is in a matter of power and strength, it, it fights to nullify the whatever is opposing it, but not through from up there, but from, from below itself, Yisaitim is even more than that, to convert it to holiness. And these two forms, one is through an assertion from above, and the other one is through an, a a a revel, a what do you call it? A a evolution from below, an evolvement from below, a truth coming forth and sprouting forth from below. These two forms now, both of them represent strength, because the bottom line is equal. In the end, what's the bottom line? Godliness wins, holiness won. Truth is is called around the land. Hashem's truth is proclaimed. And obviously in Mashiach's world, everywhere, as a result of all this purification that happened. So the bottom line, but the strength, this very strength, that in the end, holiness prevailed over an enemy, over an opposition, which is again indicative of number three, can come through a manner of a revelation from above, or it can come from a purification from below. And that's the difference if the strength is in Parshas Matos or the strength is Parshas Mase. Take a look at the brilliance. Matos means a staff, a firm staff. Whose staff? God's staff. God, God takes the rod and knocks it down on the table like he did with Moses. See, when we went out of Mitzrayim, that's exactly the case. You had an opposition, you had a pharaoh, you had Egyptians. 
And they were tormenting. They were doing whatever they wanted. They were opposing God. They were opposing morality and, and, and holiness, torture, and afflicting Israel. And God sends a person with an actual stick, and he threatens, and he breaks them, and he brings them to their knees till he, caught, till he tosses them into the sea. And find the biggest army in the world, fine, in a blink of an eye. Mata, strength. But then there is the other story. When Mashiach comes, we're not looking for a Moses that's going to rein the world in with a staff. Eight billion people in the world are going to come to a recognition that there is a truth. Because all the other balonies that everybody's trying to feed them from all the different sides are just collapsing on their own. What are we seeing in our world today? Everything is going, everything is going down the tubes. The world is like... <laughs> and, 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 and we're watching a world that tried to you know, figure itself out this way and that way and nothing really until... Obviously, there's going to be a revelation, but the revelation is going to be so welcome. Obviously, there'll be some people kicking and screaming. There's no question. But they're just very, very, very few. The, the, the humanity as a whole is going to embrace truth, embrace godliness, but not because of the revelation from above, but because of the purification that happened over thousands of years from within, from within below. And that's the idea of journeys, Mase. The fact that the Jewish people journeyed from place to place to place to place. And in every country and in every place, they faced opposition. And yet when they faced opposition, number, and they, it came in two stages. They faced opposition and yet they first, the first thing was to stay strong and not to break. Everybody said, you're coming to this country, you, you can't, you can't. Over here, you know, you're not going to survive. You're not going to survive. Because of anti-Semitism, you're not going to survive. Because of persecution, you're not going to survive. And mostly you're not going to survive because the place is hostile to an observance. You can't keep mitzvot over here. You can't keep Shabbos over here. Coming to a country, it's a modern country. Drop your old your old ways. Oh. So step number one is to be strong, to, to stake, to put our stick down, the matos. But stake number two, the, I mean, uh, stage number two is that the very, very, to start utilizing the very, the very powers of the opposition, the unique powers and talents of each country and each each culture, every culture and each, which was first in opposition, but to to actually harness those powers and include them into service the service of God, use these methods, use these energies, these powers of nation after nation and place after place, and integrate that into holiness, into fulfilling God's will, thereby lifting up that entire culture and that entire, that they all become allies and assistants to the observance of Torah and mitzvahs so that they become part of the home for God when God reveals himself, when Mashiach comes. And that has to come from the journeys which we went everywhere. So that's the ultimate strength and the ultimate victory. Because if God asserted himself, and conquered the enemy, even though now you can show real strength, there was an enemy, and I defeated him. But it's not an ultimate defeat. Why? Because since you only defeated it because you muscled yourself up to, to defeat him, so hypothetically, he might come back tomorrow with bigger muscles. You know, he might come back. You, but if everything gave in to God, not because God asserted, not because of his infusion, but because of an, an intrinsic truth that they themselves realized, kind of from within, from below, 
then you've refuted the possibility of ever having an opposition, of ever having anything to contradict God's truth. So that's real permanence, and that's real strength, infinite strength. So Masse is much deeper than Matos. The Mata staff approach is good for the beginning, but it's not the ultimate. The strength of Pashas Matos, who is the strength that's coming from above. And you even see it not only in the word Mata, what is the opening verse of Pashas Matos? Vayadaber Moshe, al Rashi Hamatos, Moshe speaks, This is what God spoke. Everybody, everybody silent. God is talking. Zahadavar. And the word Zeh is, you're pointing with a finger. God's, tra- uh, um, the, the divine tra- uh, 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 transmission is coming in such a clear, conspicuous way. Everybody is silent. God is speaking. So it's God taking dominance over the world because he is doing it. That's Mata, the firmness of the stick. Zahadavar Shativ Hashem. This is the power and the strength. Of drawing down the commandment of God, even in a place where there is, even in a place where there is a a a a, um, a challenge, an opposition. But the strength of Parshas Masse is so much deeper. It's the strength and the power that's coming from below. Because here it doesn't say, it doesn't say something about God. It says these are the journeys of the Jewish people. <laughs> We're not talking about God. We're talking about Israel. Israel wandering in a desert. We, our work from below, from within the world, not an assertion from truth from above the creation. And more than that, that we go out of Egypt. In other words, we're, we're doing the work. We're getting out of Egypt. We're getting out of darkness. Which is indicative of the strength and the power of the service of the Jewish people. And, and, and we know that it's not just we left Egypt. The desert itself was a place full of scorpion snakes, which represent a very, very intense, impure place. And the reason God took the people, the Jewish people into the desert was in order that they can battle the forces of darkness. And that desert that they traveled during that time was a precursor. It was a preview for the conquest that the Jewish people are going to have to do in the 2000th year exile, when they're going to actually, they're going to be scattered through the diaspora across the entire world and meet all kinds of every type of possible force which is symbolized by snakes and scorpions, meaning entities that want to, that represent the primordial snake, which is representing something anti-godly and trying to insert its venom and stop the, the, the godly truth, the Torah, from advancing in the world. And yet, the snakes are not here anymore. The scorpions are gone. And the Torah stands, its flag is shining brightly across the entire world. There isn't a country, there isn't a city in the world where there's not a presence of observance of Torah, of mitzvahs, a teacher who is teaching classes that are being given, godly words that are being heard, 
and and what we're seeing now, obviously, just little little spots, but it's 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 representing something much deeper. The, the moment the result, the moment Mashiach, the temple is, it comes down, or the temple is revealed. These little spots will like each one is like a a, a bulb that will light up. And the entire place will light up with the entire world will glow with a godly glow from within. This is the work of, the, of Israel in purifying the world. And here's the whole idea of traveling represents the idea that what? it doesn't represent the one above because the one above is stable. He's, he's singular. In him, there's no space here or there. He just is. Down here, the world is a world of details. It's a world of that's d- divided into different climates, into different places, into different, right? And travel means moving from place to place and place to place, which in a sense is, represents very, a very great weakness. But it's only superficially weak. On a, on a on a on an infinitely deeper level, it's infinitely deep. That's the point. It's because wherever you will bring this this truth and face it off with every which with a new opposition and a new opposition and a very different type of opposition, holiness will prevail. And which is indicated in the forty-two journeys, those forty-two journeys that the Jewish people traveled in the desert encapsulated within itself every future opposition that is going to be. Each place brought upon its, on, on, represented a whole slew of challenges and of difficulties. So according to the state of the, of the world and the opposition forces of the world, which they're in a state of plural, not in a state of oneness. That's why it's different places, because plural, the pluralism of creation, and the plural, especially the plural, is emphasized when the world is not yet in a rectified state. So it's not yet permeated with the singular oneness that's running through all of existence. But quite in the contrary, what we sense is the individual separation of everything, each place. And these are the 42 different places here and there and there and there, each one with its own, with its own, its own opposition to holiness. Nevertheless, yet every single place and every single journey only enriched the travelers. And not only that was becomes part of a story of a people leaving Egypt and going to the promised land. Imagine that. 42 different challenging places, every single one threatening their well-being, their spiritual well-being, their physical well-being, and yet every single one of them becomes part of the magnificent story of a people leaving the land of Egypt and going to the promised land. And by the time they get to the promised land, they're not beaten and broken. They are enriched by the experiences of the very 42 places that challenge them. So we take that and translate it to 2,000 years of exile. It's one long journey to the land of Israel. But it's, 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 it's surrounding the entire globe coming back to the land of Israel.
enriched with the riches of nations, which means bringing along the 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 spiritual qualities that are buried in every single people and every single culture and every single nation, and uplifting it all to become allies of holiness. Which represents going from Egypt, which means constriction, going to the land of Israel, which means broadness. So based on this, we can explain why real strength is connected to the parsha of Masse more than Parsha's Matos. Since the second way of, of, of the transformation of, of resolving the conflict, not by overpowering, overpowering the enemy, but by, by changing the enemy from within. Right, that's the ultimate conquest. The journey of the Jewish people that went out of the land of Egypt. So that indicates much greater strength than just beating your enemy by giving a knockout punch. Because it's not only that the strength and the power of the light of holiness. It's so powerful that no matter where you're going to try to block it, it has power to break through. Okay, that's, wow, fine, I get it. But that's still not, because over here, it's the, the way it works, If in that way, it's more like, you know, the king is coming, he doesn't care what's there. It doesn't make a difference. There's even a law that way. A king, when he travels somewhere, or especially if he needs to go somewhere in the way of war, he's allowed to uproot private property. He's, uh, he, he's allowed to, because the king, it's the king's, the king's, it's in the king's path. So the fact that you say that anything that's in God's way is going to be knocked off, th- that means that I'm disregarding any, any, any challenge. Anybody that's there, poof, blow them off. We say it in Ozzy We say, you blew with your wind, God knocked off everybody that tried to oppose. Him. Okay. That's strong. But it's not the deepest strength. It's without even considering that there is an opposing force. But it goes much deeper than that. That's what we're bringing in the second Torah portion. Masay, the journeys. Instead of just disregarding or blowing or blowing the enemy away, you actually slowly, meticulously engage the, the opposition in 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 in, in in conversation, you engage with them. And slowly but surely, you turn them around. You convince them themselves that they, for, that, that for their own good and for their own, for their own prosperity, they should join forces with holiness. That's a transformation. So that, and, and through that, you eliminate not the opposing, the opposing party, you eliminate the opposition from the opposing party, and you're left with a party without opposition. And then you and then you take that very party and make it part of your team. And eventually, all of mankind is on God's team, and all of humanity is the team of holiness, the team of Torah, the team of truth. 
to the point where you convert it to holiness. Now, even though we mentioned that what? That there is two methods. One method is a method of assertion from above. And the second method is a method of a, 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 a elevation from below. And we spoke, we spoke about the, the benefits of doing it in a more thorough way when it's coming from below. But yet, there is what to say about the strength that is shown when it's coming through an assertiveness. Why? Because when things are coming from above, because God is omnipotent, so the power that he has is without an end. So the strength is, is, a, is an endless strength. So on the one hand, it, there is something to say about it. It is stronger because it's him. It's, it's a being who's, who's literally power, who's literally um, limitless in its, in its power. The strength that's coming from, from us, from the world, and the Jewish people below can't compare with God's power. Even though we've shown incredible endurance, but it's still only our endurance. So therefore, it's, it, it has a certain scope, a certain... But what's the quality of working it out from below, working it out from within us, not through the divine revelation, not through the divine, is that it's so much more truer to the world as opposed to when, it, when God is imposing his truth upon the creation. So even though the, 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 he could last and, and oppose his, his dominion over the world and it will never expire because he lasts forever, so technically it won't expire. But even while it's going on, we said earlier, it's weak. It's, it's not that it's weak. It's not connecting so much to us because it's a outside force that's compelling us to accept him as opposed to it being our truth. It's his truth opposed upon us. So on the one hand, but on the other hand, because he is absolute, his truth is forever. So there's a certain strength to it, but it's lacking it's lacking in its connection to us, to the world. On the other hand, when we work things out from below, it's more truer, but it's, but it's lacking the durability of something that's, that God is doing. So what is the ultimate strength? When do you have perfection on all, on all levels? When there's a combination of matos and masa and both become one Torah portion. In other words, when it when we can discover a point within ourselves that is both God and us, so the on the one hand it's the it, it's it's Hashem's power, and therefore it will last forever, ever, 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 and never expire because it's got God's durability. But it's also us, so it's our truth. It's coming from above, but it's also coming from below. Now, coming from above and coming below are two different methods. One is assertion from below, above, and one is working it out from below. Two, and how can they merge? That we'll speak about later how they can merge. But again, to reach the ultimate state, you need to have the qualities, the best of both worlds. The best of a revelation from above, a mata strength, 
an assertion coming from above like the staff because that gives you God's God's permanence and therefore the victory will never end because it's coming from a place of infinite endurance however and if that combines with with a truth that the world itself Part, helped reveal from within itself, not imposing from above, it will also have the quality of it being true to who we are and not, not shoved down our throats, if you can say. It's in this week's Torah portion. When we take matos and mase and we unify them together, we have the qualities of both. We have the strength from staff. It's got the power of the pure light of holiness. That is infinite. It's, it's infinite. But he's going to say the downside of it. Since it's coming only from God. It's not connected to our existence. So much so, as we said earlier, the opposition is completely disregarded when God decides to put his foot down, like in Egypt. He disregards Pharaoh. He disregards, who cares what Pharaoh thinks? Who cares what Pharaoh says? We blow him off. So, so therefore, it's not permeating so more, so much the creations. The human race has not become so, 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 the, the world itself has not become convinced. It's been overpowered. And now on the other hand, the strength of Masai is, has the quality that we've actually taken the enemy himself and converted him. First nullified him and then converted him. Because, but since it's coming from below, doesn't have the infinity, the limitlessness, that God has, it's coming, that's what we said before, it's coming from within the Jewish people holding strong. God's ambassador in, the, in this world holding strong, but they're only ambassadors, they're not God. So there's lacking that, that, that permanence and that, and, that, and that limitlessness. And therefore it's possible for it to wear out, to, to expire, to wear off after all. How do you have it be really, really, really Absolute forever and ever, and and have its ultimate um, its ultimate perfection. The greatest perfection of chazak when we attach the two together. Then you have and we have one Torah portion that runs through these both these qualities. You have both qualities. You have the strength and the power of light that's beyond limitation. And the strength that you worked it out from below as well. You elevated the world itself. You have them both together. On the one hand, the nullification of the enemy and his transformation it's coming from below, which means it's more 
it's 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 part of part of us, part of the world itself, part of the creation consciousness. But it's in a way when it merged with God's power, so its endurance is endurance is forever, ever without it ever being able to change its mind, forever and ever and ever lasting with an absolute permanence, just like God is not wishy washy his permanence. So God lends his permanence into our efforts. So got both qualities. It's got the quality of it being ours because it's our effort, but it's also got the permanence of God's endurance and God's permanence. So now, so that that's real strength. So now we're understanding why Masse. This already answers the question also why we can gay chazak chazak in the three weeks. Because we realize that when we go to exile and when we go to darkness and we went into the nine days and this all this dark period, it's not a weakening. It's actually a ultimate. It's it's a it's reaching the ultimate strength. It's the conversion of every darkness. It's 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 facing us with every challenge, and yet you will prevail. Temporarily, there's a setback. Temporarily, there is a weakening. Temporarily, some Jews stop being religious, stop being observant, stop stop keeping mitzvot. Yeah, temporarily. Temporarily, there's always a loss. But that's that that. But on the real deeper. Am Yisrael chay v'kayam, od avinu chay, you know, Am uh, Yisrael chay. The Jewish people are alive. The Torah is alive. Mitzvahs are alive. The ultimate conquest, the ultimate transformation. Okay, we're going to try to really, the sicha goes on and on and on and it becomes, because it's, it really explains four or five. Only things I have to get out. Let me see if I can do something tonight. Okay. Okay. The Yashla Hoist, if we can add on to this Shahibur the Matis Masse who Dafka. Where do Matis and Masse connect? Which aliyah? We know that on Shabbos there are seven aliyot. We give seven seven uh, people are called to the Torah. And the way it works is that you don't, when you finish the, the whenever you have a merger of two Torah portions, you don't give an aliyah and finish at the end of one and the next aliyah starts the next one. But you you have one person who comes and makes a blessing on the Torah and he reads, let's say, the last 20 verses of one and he reads the next 20 verses on the next one. So it's read as one. 
there's no interruption. But by which aliyah do we do that? So it's always the same. Every time there's a merger, we always make the connector between one portion and the next in the fourth aliyah. So he's going to explain why number, what's the significance? We spoke, we should have been, we should have done it at number three. No, three merging, this, that. No, we do it at number four. And what and which Torah, which Torah portion are we finishing now? The which which Torah book are we finishing? The fourth one. So he's going to explain that idea. It's done in the fourth Torah portion. The fourth Aliyah. We read the conclusion of Matos. And the beginning of the Parsha of Masi. And as we said before, what causes the ultimate strength in this Torah portion? The combo. The combination of the strength coming from above, God's God's endurance and permanence, um, elevating our efforts and imbuing our efforts with with that. That's the idea of merging them. And when is that happening? In the fourth aliyah, when they're connected, and 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 by which by which junction of the Torah are we emphasizing this? In the fourth Torah portion. By the conclusion of the fourth book of the Torah. Why? So the Rebbe says something very beautiful. Even though number three is so powerful, and it shows on strength and power, even in a situation of opposition. Nevertheless, since it's a continuation to one and to two, you still can sense the connection to one and to two. Even though number three is a unifier and connects the one with the opposition, with the two, and merges them together, and if there was an opposition from two to one, it mellows it out, the opposition and weakens the opposition until it actually transforms the opposition. But since number three is so close to one and to two, and one and two are still clashing with each other, you can still look at, you can still sense in number three that was once a fight, there was once a clash. So three represents a unification, but not a seamless merger where they're so. I'll give an example: you take two pieces of metal and you and you you can screw them together. And then you can see it's two pieces. You can even weld them together, but you, when you're welding them, you can weld, you can see how the two have a certain point where they were once two, but they're welded together. But then you can take the two pieces of metals and completely melt them, and then and then take the, the melted uh, whatever and create whatever vessel or whatever piece of metal you're making, where the two are so mixed together you don't have two anymore. You just have one. Number four represents. A level where the number number four is a continuation. It's a progress. You had one, one was challenged by two, three came and made peace between one and two. But as long as you're still in three in the three zone, you still can sense that there was once a unification, and now they're blended together. Once you come to number four, it's just a fourth identity and a, an, an entity that represents a a a. A, a merger of two things, but you can't even tell that there was ever a, it's coming from two ends. 
we might see it like as follows. Imagine like, you know, 5,000 years after Mashiach comes. Are we even going to feel that there was once a conflict between the creation and God, between the world and God, between, between things in this world? Where, no, it's just oneness. Humans and Hashem, the creation and God, will be in a seamless oneness. It won't even be a memory of there ever being a conflict or ever being a thing. But the first era, like right after Mashiach comes, we'll still see that, oh, wow, this person of this college or this university that was once teaching so-so and so-and-so, it too is teaching, is teaching about, is, is, is teaching Torah. It's also teaching God's truth. Wow. So, you know, you, you, you can still sense the, the, that there was once different of opinions. There was one, and, and, and so it's, it's exciting to watch it. But it's still indicating that not perfect harmony and not perfect oneness. Four is the, that's why he brings the idea that we say that a chair that stands on three legs, you can sit on the chair, but a, a real stable chair needs four. Four represents the ultimate stability of God sitting in this world, this world being a throne for God, number four. So therefore, when you say you, the reason why we connect the two Torah portions, not in the third Aliyah, which three should be about bonding, and we do it in the fourth, because we're trying to indicate that the merger is such a deep merger that you can't even tell that there were two things that were merged. Our empowerment by God is in such an amazing way that on the one end, it's, as we said earlier, it's totally from within our efforts. So it's totally true to our existence. At the other hand, it's totally God. And that's why it's, it's, it's limitless and infinite. And you can't tell where it's us and where it's him because who cares? It, we're just totally unified. The, the influence from above and the, and, the, and, the, and the elevation from below have become so, so much one. That's the idea. Since it comes as a continuation to one and two, it emphasizes still the connection to that. Even though it attaches the upper. Which number two? You can sense that it is unifying two, two, two elements. He's not talking so much about unifying the world and God. He's talking more about unifying the two styles of service. A service of revealing godliness from above and a service of doing it from below. His emphasis more is not on the two entities, but on the two methods of connection. As we spoke before, you can you can connect things. You can connect the creation to God in two methods. One is by bringing God down, and the other one is by elevating the creation upward, purifying, refinement, enlightening, education, and so forth. When does it reach its ultimate Perfection, Uberevi, is in the fourth one. A level that stands on its own. It's not a continuation to one and to two. When it is emphasized, the ultimate settling. Like a chair made up of four 
for, um, you see, when you have two legs, it's still rickety because you can still sense a conflict of two entities. You add a third leg, oh, now it's not rickety. You can, the chair can stand. But, the, but a real ultimate stable chair, four legs. Then you're not even aware that there was once a possibility of like, it's just, a, it's just a chair. That's the idea. It's more settling than a chair of three three legs. It's indicating, like we say, eventually the world will be, God will sit as king over the world forever and ever. Eternal forever without any even. Now here's a great thing. Now we're going to bring in number five. Till now we spoke about three, we spoke about four, we'll bring in five, five. How is it that you reach such a perfect unification to the point that you can't even tell that two things were welded together? Such perfect unification. And which, is, which number four represents, that's because of the revelation of the fifth dimension. We know God has four, four, four letters in his name. Yud, K, Vav, K, the four letters of God's name. But the four letters of God's name are manifestations of attributes and projections and lights. Then there is the fifth dimension. Who's the fifth dimension? The fifth dimension is God's very self, which isn't characterized by any name, by any definition, by any light, by any emanation. His, his true absolute being and that's associated with the fifth level. Kabbalah, Hasidus, it's discussed many times. The fifth dimension. Just like our soul, the essence of our soul is the fifth name of our soul. Fifth dimension of the soul. There's Nefesh, Ruch, Neshama, Yechida, which is the highest level of soul. It's the essence of the soul. So the essence of the divine. From the essence of the divine, up, down, down, up, the infinite, the finite, the creation, the this, it's all absolutely the same. He is the reality of everything and of all of it. And therefore, he's the ultimate equalizer of it. So because of number five, there can be number four. See, number five, we're not talking about the creation merging with God. We're not talking about it. And number five is a level of just the absolute essential truth. One, two, three, four are all inside within the, within the projection of the divine. First, God projects his light that he's number one. He's the, but that's a, his light. There's none but him. He's revealing there's nothing but him. Then he contradicts himself with number two. Then it resolves the conflict with number three. Then we reach a point where we don't even realize that 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 it's so resolved that it's that the upper and the and the lower and the and the infinite and the finite and the creation and the and what, and, and what is good and what was once evil and bad everything has become totally unified into his oneness. Why? Because of a level that transcends all of this, which is his very essence, which is number five. So that's why, what do we do on this Shabbos? When we merge Parshas Matos Masse, which is the fourth book, which represents this unification of 
of Hashem and the creation in both levels, from up, down, and down, up, and into a point of oneness where they're two become completely one, as we spoke in the Chiddush of number four, what do we do the same Shabbos? We begin reading the fifth book, which is the book of the Vardim, which is indicating on the fifth level. That's what's really, 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 really cool. So what are we doing? We're saying three times Chazak, which three represents strength, but we're doing it on the fourth book, which represents that the strength, which is indicating on the resolving of the conflict, is in a way where it has become so resolved that you can't even tell that there was ever a conflict that there were ever two things together. So we're we're doing it on the fourth book, but we're also introducing the fifth book because that's really the power from where the ability of number four is coming from, which creates the reality of number four. And to make it even cooler, watch this. We're doing it at which time of the year? We're doing it at a time of the year that's called the three weeks. But we're doing it at the end of the fourth month, which is the month of Tammuz. And we're just entering into this Shabbos, into the fifth month. So you got three, four, and five, both in the reading, in the Torah. And three, four, and five, also in the time, because the, the month of Av is the fifth month. Tonight, actually, is Rosh Chodesh, is the, is, is, the, is the beginning of the month, which is indicating this fifth dimension, which is number five, which is the essence higher than everything else. That's where he goes with this. We begin reading the fifth book. This year, even more. When are we finish? Are we Are finishing the fourth book? We're doing it in the month of Av. Not every year you do that. This year we are doing it. We're doing it and it is known the fifth level we're hitting notes the highest level that's the level of Mashiach the fifth dimension is the level of Mashiach Mashiach is going to reveal to us the essence of God and that's why Mashiach comes after we've achieved complete harmony on all levels because from four we come to five and by the way, the Rebbe is going to go on to explain. That's why we find that the current redemption, the redemption that we are waiting for it to happen any day, is sometimes referred to as the third redemption. Because Egypt is one. And then from coming back after the Babylonian and Persian exile, coming back to Israel is the second time, and this is called the third. And the temple is also the third temple. But sometimes we refer to the exiles as four exiles. And this is the end of the fourth exile. And sometimes we refer to the to the exiles as five exiles. Because when you count Egypt as one, and Babylonia as the other one, and Persia as the next one, and the Greeks at this next one, and Edom as the last one, it's five. So the reason we have three, four, and five is because what's what's the whole story? <laughs> what's the whole idea of redemption? Redemption is redeeming the world from its finitude and from its limitations and from its boundaries and from its separateness and unifying with God. So if you didn't hit number three, you're still dealing with conflict. So that's why the redemption, this redemption has to be the third one. But, but then it only goes higher. 
you, you, you have three, then you dig deeper, you reach a fourth play, the level of number four, which again, the fact that number four is not coming after one and two is indicating that what? That we're dealing with a state of existence where there isn't even a, 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 a noticeability that there is two, that there is a conflict. It's just a complete oneness, which is all a consequence of the revelation of the fifth dimension, which is God's very essence, which from that place is what enabled this whole drama and 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 of creation to play itself out and for the ultimate truth to prevail in all of existence for this essential oneness to this fullest oneness of number four, a consequence of number five. That's the idea over here. And he's going to connect it all, which I'm not going to do anymore because I have to go, to the fact that it's today, the fifth day of the month of Av, is the only yard site that's mentioned in the Torah. And that's the yard site, the day of passing of Aaron, the high priest. He's going to explain that Aaron passed away on the first day of the fifth month. That's what the Torah says. The first, because Aaron's soul, Aaron, the high priest, Aaron, a Kohen, the first high priest, the Kohen Gadol, is rooted in the fifth dimension. And that's why he was somebody who unified the Jewish people. When he passed away, everybody cried equally. Not just the scholars, not the rabbis, not the holy people. The sinners... And the holy people cried the same. Men, women, everybody loved him because he was he he connected everybody. Why? Because he touched the level of essence that transcends all definite all separations. But precisely from that transcendental place, he was able to enter into all the all the different elements, speak to everybody, he had a language with everybody, he was able to reconcile every fight and every argument. And in all cases, always bring the, the ultimate harmony. And that's why in his merit, the Jewish people merit the clouds of glory. Clouds of glory are also something that encircled everybody equally. Fifth dimension. All of this, obviously, is telling us how amazing it is, the times we are living in, where we're holding right now. Obviously, we're going to have to find... I haven't yet thought about this enough, but where we see these three numbers coming into play today's days, literally three, four, and five. We spoke so much about three, 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 four, five, but this is it. Okay, my eyes are closing on me, and we have to. I, I would recommend everybody complete this mime, this sicha on your own because it's fabulous. Just gets better and better and better every page you turn. Okay, everyone, take care. Have a good week, and all mazel and bracha. For the ganze Mischbachen.